here. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Rise and Flow. We're your hosts, Ray and Gabe from Inflow Law Group. And for today's episode, our guest is Tony Iliacostas, also known as Professor T. He's the manager of ABC News Rights and Clearances in his fourth year as an adjunct professor at New York Law School teaching entertainment law and intellectual property. Yeah. And, you know, in his role in ABC News, Professor T or Tony, he handles complex copyright licensing for a bunch of news programs, including Good Morning America, 2020, Nightline, and a bunch of other related ABC News branded programs. Additionally, Tony has experience in personality rights licensing, even handling licensing of various dead celebrities, including Albert Einstein, Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King, and other iconic celebrities in his roles as business affairs over at Greenlight. Yeah. But we know him as the IP professor on social media. And yeah, he, he started the IP professor as a way to encourage and educate and entertain people about the wonderful world of intellectual property. And he collectively has about 3,500 loyal followers on social media ready to learn about IP, including ourselves. And yeah, and in this discussion, we talk a lot about intellectual property and how it pertains to the content creation space and on social media. Yeah, I'm really stoked to have him. Yeah, he's definitely one of our favorite social media friends that we've made. And our friendship has kind of grown past the social media platforms. And uh, yeah, he's such a great guy. Yeah, so if you're a content creator or business owner and want to learn a little bit more about IP, don't want to get bogged down in internet searches, listen to this podcast or follow Professor T. We're excited to give you this uh, or provide this episode today. Yeah. All right, let's bring them on. Professor T, how are you doing? Thank you for joining us. Thanks a lot, Gabe and Ray. It's so nice seeing you guys and being part of this. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for just jumping on with us. When we launched the podcast, we were looking forward to this episode. Obviously, you know, we we interact through social media and we're very big fans of the content you post and kind of like your journey of becoming like who you are today. And yeah, we're just really excited because obviously our audience and our clients could gain a lot from just having an expert on IP come on and chat about the differences of like different IP and how it pertains to what they're doing. So uh, real quick, let's jump into it. Professor T, IP, when did you first like understand that IP was right for you? Like, was it before you went to law school? Was it during law school? We're really excited to know like how you became the IP professor. So please, you're on the stage. Well, first off, I'm going to Venmo you the $50 later for calling me an IP expert. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) So just... Make sure you remind me later. Anyway, going no, back no, to no. the going back to just like how I I got started in this career, it it was a it was a bit more of like the unconventional route. I never I never really knew to begin with that I was interested in the law until probably by the time I got to college. I had such a weird trajectory, and I think every kid does of what they want to do when they grow up. So, for example, when I was in kindergarten, for whatever reason, I wanted to be a zookeeper, and somehow that transitioned into me being a what was it, an investment banker? And even then was just like so perplexing because I was good at math, but like not that good. And certainly high school humbled me tremendously when it came to math. So I knew that I had to figure something out. But my mom is actually a federally certified interpreter and translator in Spanish for the Department of Justice. And I'm, and I'm half Cuban, so I've grown up learning the language. and but But seeing and learning the language the lens of what my mom does. And she actually does a lot of translation for criminal oriented cases. So she's worked on drug cartel cases, human trafficking, 
with every cartel you can imagine, Sinaloa, DDP, the Dominicans don't play. She's been involved in every type of money laundering scandal that has involved Colombians and other nationalities or ethnicities. So it's been a weird flavor of things. Her, I would say her greatest claim to fame was she was involved in the 94 World Trade Center bombing trial. She actually interpreted for the Dominican gas attendant that pumped the gas in the rider truck that blew up on the day of those bombings. So she's done like a bevy of different things. So I was exposed to a lot of like the law throughout my childhood, seeing what she did. And I would say by the time I got to high, by the time I got to college, I knew that maybe law school was a career that I would take sincerely with me. The question was, did I want to go down the criminal route that my mom has been so exposed to, or did I want to do something else? So it was very much a navigation, but I would say I figured it out once I got to my junior year when I started using, when I started studying my my major, which was communications and media studies. And I thought maybe media law would be an avenue for me to go down. And then that my, that that was a temporary thing because then I quickly watched Jerry Maguire and I saw sports law. That's what I want to do. I want to be a sports agent. So I went to New York Law School. I started in 2011 and I quickly learned that the sports agent field is not all that it's cracked up to be. It's just very cutthroat, conniving. There's a lot of competition. And at the end of the day, I thought that the only way I could make a viable career in the sports agent world is if I joined the likes of CAA or William Morris Endeavor or Rock Nation or any of these other powerhouse sports agencies. So I took a step back and I realized maybe being a sports agent wasn't right for me and especially my temperament, my personality of who I was. Let me learn about sports law as a broad avenue. So during my 1L year, I attended a sports law symposium in New York Law School and they had typical break into the sports law panel. And I found that the way you could break into the industry is if you did something unique and creative. So for me, I thought maybe doing a blog would be the way to go. So I started my own video blog during my 1L year called Law and Batting Order. If you're a Law and Order fan and a baseball fan, you totally got that reference. But I I started Law and Batting Order and I did, I basically treated it like the legal version of SportsCenter where every single week I talked about a sports law headline that had a legal implication. So X player signs a five-year deal for $125 million. Great opportunity to talk about everyone else, PTSD, worst nightmare, offer acceptance consideration. So I talked about that. Or I, at the time I was starting law and batting order was when the NBA players lockout was just wrapping up. So I talked about kind of like the legal implications of something like that. I even talked about Aaron Hernandez, who was originally for obstruction of justice, eventually charged with murder of killing his best friend, Ode Lloyd. But on the obstruction of justice charge, every news outlet wasn't explaining what the statutory language in Massachusetts was about that. So I used that as an opportunity on law and batting order to talk about that language. So I did a variety of diff- these different topics. And then eventually I found that IP was the one area of law that I was very passionate about talking about on law and batting order, more in the context of trademarks, but there was just something about it. So I took coursework during my two year that was focused on IP. I found a great internship at ABC News Rights and Clearances when I was wrapping up my 2L year going into 3L, which was very much in the realm of copyright law. I was completely saturated in this world. And I think that it, it really was that subject matter that really exposed me to IP. And I think that's kind of what, what kicked the tires and let, let me hit the ground running. Yeah. That, and that's that's a great, I mean, way to get into it, right? And it, 
I love the fact that you, and again, I'm near and dear, obviously, to criminal law too. So I, I like the fact that you you were exposed to that, and that was kind of initially your your first thought, right? And then realizing that that just you weren't passionate about that. Now, obviously, you wear a lot of hats. I think it's an understatement, understatement of the year, right? <laughs> In your career, and can you can you tell us a little bit about? that and how obviously how your career kind of took off the beginnings of it and how you you kind of started wearing all these these different hats yeah i I think it's been a very interesting path that i've taken in my career i i think what really hit what really set the stage for everything was that internship right after my two all year at abc news rights and clearances because i know that during my time in law school it was very hard to just even get an internship period i wasn't competing on moot court. I wasn't on law review. I had a had pretty much a GPA that was south of 3.0. And I, I graduated with a 3.03 GPA, 67 percent on my class. And I still tell my students to this day that that's a that's a accolade that I'm very proud of because that was hard earned and not that was not something being served to me on a silver platter. And then the cloche was removed and I was served that it was something that I actually earned over time. So all that to say, Throughout my, throughout my time in law school, I never had that in. I could have had it in in the criminal world, and certainly I liked criminal law. I That was my best grade during my 1L year, and I definitely enjoyed the subject matter from what my mom was doing, but it wasn't the kind of thing that I that I saw myself doing long-term. So I wanted to do something that was more worth, worth my while, and I'm thankful for my former torts professor who happened to be a, a big advocate of the relationship between the law and the media that kind of allowed me to be his research, research assistant after my first year of law school. And I, I'm thankful that I have law and batting, batting order as my calling card to really hone in on my understanding of sports law as an industry and understand all the different areas of law. Because I think all those all those experiences gave me the accolades, or not necessarily accolades, but at least the skill set to at least go to the interview at ABC News Rights and Clarences and say, I may not be the star student, but I'm a very hard worker, and this is the product that I can show for. And I'm very thankful that my bosses at that time were very were very open to it because I think the legal industry is very. I, I, I it's already bad enough that it acts discriminatory, but it's 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 even worse that it they won't give people a fair chance, even though they know that they could bring a good work product, and they're so jaded to just look at a GPA or a school ranking and. Those are great. If you're if you're top one percent in your class, and you're you've got a solid GPA, that's wonderful, and that's something that should be celebrated. But at the same time, we shouldn't disadvantage other hardworking students who should have a fair shot at that. So for me, I think rights and clearances that internship really just helped me get something on my resume that was was going to pave the way for the rest of my career. I couldn't get any sports law internship throughout my time at my 1L year or 2L year at law school. So that internship at ABC News was paramount. Not to mention, I think what also helped was during my undergrad year, I was a news intern at CBS News. So okay. that that was like the perfect bridge. So yeah. once I graduated, I was brought back onto ABC News Rights and Clearances as a freelancer for seven and a half months just to help get my feet wet and I could find more full-time work. And I think, again, that was a prime opportunity for me to just advance my skill set, make it better than what it was. So that way it set me up for the next job that I had, which was at another rights clearances agency called Greenlight. 
And that was a bit unique because we did copyright clearances for film, television shows, and music, but we also re represented dead celebrities. And that was my first foray into that world. I studied it in law school, but I never was really exposed to post-mortem personality rights. But it was unbelievable. It was probably one of the funnest experiences I ever had, minus the micromanaging. <laughs> Absolutely fun experience that I, I, I worked with the Albert Einstein estate exclusively on all their licensing deals. I also worked with Martin Luther King Jr.'s estate, Steve McQueen, the Wright brothers, Thomas Edison. At one point, we had retained Marvin Gaye to represent him as well for his personality rights. So it was really fascinating to work with brands, get an idea of how they were brainstorming and thinking about these iconic celebrities. And then in the same way, working with the estates to understand what they wanted to do with the brand and understanding like what the relationship was between both parties and essentially creating an alignment between the brand and the estate. So I worked on merchandise deals, advertising campaigns, social media campaigns, which at that point we were managing Einstein social media accounts. And I was essentially the face behind those accounts and to basically to be the, to have the keys to those accounts and manage 25 million followers on Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube was an insane task, but we really try to figure out ways of leveraging that account to create monetization efforts for the, the estate. And it was really remarkable. And this is back in 2016, 2017, when we were just getting started on the whole monetization front for social media. But yeah, two and a half years there kind of came and went. And then I was offered an opportunity to come back at ABC News Rights and Clearances to be my former boss's right-hand man. He was when I was an intern, he was my boss. He got promoted. And so he wanted me to be his right-hand man. And so I have been back there and, and that's where I've been ever since. So a very unique path, but something I'm very grateful for again is that all those experiences that I had throughout my time in law school and even after graduation have really set me up for success at this point. Absolutely. Awesome. And the fun part about your story, like the awesome part about your story is kind of how content creation kind of influenced the direction you're in or like that set up your path from like starting your blog to now. Right. Yeah. I and mean, I think that's really awesome. And especially cause like you weren't ordered or you weren't like tasked with starting a blog. You did that on your own volition, right? Like you just like, I'm going to start doing this and see what, where this goes. Right. So um, the, the point that I even had made my own merch, like, and I was, yeah. I was the whole purpose of it was like, I would have, let's say like a canteen bottle with the lawn batting order logo. And I would have it nestled right there on my desk. And then like, I didn't have to ask a question because I knew the concept, but I would raise my hand and inevitably all eyes are on me and all eyes are on the law and batting order logo. So I was right. like engaging in this like guerrilla marketing at my own law school. And yeah, it, it was, it was, it was an uphill battle to try to get promotion going, but it, it was a very fun experience for sure. Yeah. And, but I mean, I was just going to mention just like how it just engaging in the content creation, finding out like, oh, I'm kind of interested in IP law because, you know. I'm naturally interested in sports and I'm naturally interested in like different versions of IP, whether that's your, your pop culture interest. And then being able to see like, wow, like I could practice something that allows me to still engage in this world, which I think is huge. And we tell people that all the time when young law students come to us and say like, hey, do you have any recommendations? Like we love, like we have law students all the time come to us and say like, hey, we love what you're doing. Like, how did you get started on this? Like, how do you even know like this was like possibility for a practice? And we just say like, Hey, what are you interested in? Start making content about it, right. find your community, and then also find out what like the pain points of that community. Yeah. And then you'll start to realize like how you fit in with your legal skill set. But I think there's just so many opportunities just in content creation. Don't we always say, like, hey, if you're a law student, like engage in some type of content creation, whether that's writing online, 
doing videos online or just like following people who are doing similar things that you might be interested in. I think that's like and so not even, And not even law students. I think we that's that's also advice that we tend to give our 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 clients, right? A lot of small businesses, a lot of content creators that are monetizing themselves. They're trying to figure out ways to kind of get out there. And that's that's the best thing to do is just kind of explore that, right? Do blogs, do something outside of the norm of just posting pictures on Instagram or on TikTok. Expand that. So yeah, no, that's, and that's really cool. And it, what I love is the fact that your story kind of melts into kind of all the cool things you're doing now because I mean you're you're a professor now at your law school but you're also a content creator making content that obviously we're a fan of and uh, thank you for the support unwavering support at that (laughs) yeah so yeah tell us a little bit about that and how kind of how that path came about so I I guess it every story of like how somebody's content creation story kind of started especially in the last three years, for whatever reason, always going to harken back to like the start of the pandemic. So for me, I think that that's a very fair place for me to start. It kind of to set the scene, I had just joined New York Law School as an adjunct professor for entertainment law and IP in August of 2019. So I had a full semester in person. And then when the spring semester started in 2020, we were half in person. And then of course, basically what spring break happened, that's when we faced until full virtual mode for, for teaching. So I taught virtually for the remainder of the spring 2020 semester. I taught virtually for the fall 2020 semester. And I started again, teaching virtually fall spring 2021. It was that semester that I kind of felt a bit stagnant, if you will. I've been out of the content creation game for a while. I kind of led law and batting order into retirement in 2016, just because of time. And I felt like there were so many other sports law bloggers out there that were already oversaturating the market. And I kind of wanted to like let younger people have a fair shot at it. I use law and batting work as kind of a calling card to get a good job. And I felt that at that point I got it. So now I could kind of move on and, and enjoy my life. But I, I found that with the rise of TikTok and people just sharing information, whether it was educational or informational or fun, whatever you want to call it, I, I found that the proliferation of that type of content was the prime opportunity for me to just tap into it with IP. And the way I teach my classes is pretty much exactly the same that you would see in a video. I'm very fun, lighthearted. I use a lot of videos, a lot of memes, a lot of photos. I don't teach like the standard statutory language, like the Copyright Act in 1976, 17 USC 101. I use super sexy AF definitions where I break down in a nice, succinct manner the understanding of what copyright is. What does it mean to violate rights under copyright law? What is the baseline rule for copyright infringement? So I I lay it all down in a fun manner for my students to understand. And what I tell my students is my classes are designed to be an experience, not the standard law school class where there's a Socratic method and I'm 95 years old with high water pants and my name is not Arthur McStuffins. Like I've got, I've got a different vibe to me and I want students to not feel intimidated when they come to my classroom. So because I bring that energy into the classroom and I was doing it virtually for essentially a a school year and a half, I thought, why not bring that into the social media sphere? I feel like there are other law students that could benefit from it. And then I could see if I could tap into a wider market, maybe reach out to attorneys and network with them. And little by little, I could build a pretty wide network. And so spring of 2021, basically April of 2021, 
That's when I had registered the IP professor handle name on Instagram. And I basically went running with it. I had a bunch of ideas from what I had seen in, over the span of months on from other content creators and thought, how could I adapt it in the context of IP? So I did that steadily, little by little. I, I started following certain people that were in this space that we all mutually share. They started liking my content. I liked their content. And I think that it just became a really, really good camaraderie. And here we are basically a year and a half later. We're about 3,000 followers on Instagram, about 1,500 on TikTok, just starting my YouTube account. 2023 is here. I'm looking for ways to expand the brand and make more fun, engaging content. And it's just been a really good time. I've just enjoyed how I've been able to create such fun posts and, and they're designed to be comedic levity. It's that that's the whole point of them. You can learn IP and still have fun. And so that's exactly what I do with my videos. Nice. What do you think is the toughest part about content creation on your, your end? Because I know you're pretty consistent. You, I, I would say like almost a video a day. I think you're pretty, you're pretty consistent on that end. But what, from your point, like point, point of view, I guess, what's the hardest part of it? And the second question is, are there other professors at your school doing this? And have you heard feedback from them? And has that feedback changed from when you started, or maybe, I don't know if you even like mentioned you were going to start beforehand and how reactions kind of shifted over time. So to answer the first question, I think the biggest struggle that I've encountered is sometimes, I guess you could call it creator's block, which is a modified version of writer's block. Mm -hmm. And my version of it is not so much about the content that I want to talk about, but the style of video that I want to use. Cause yeah, I could do an explainer, but it's like, I try to mix it up. I try to do something funny maybe a lip sync here and there, and then do a full explainer and then so on and so forth. So it's never all just me lip syncing or all just me doing an explainer, but like I'll listen to a sound and I'll be like, wow, this sound is like amazing. And I'll turn to my wife and I'm like, you know, what, what's your idea for this sound? And she's like, I don't know, like you're on your own for that one. But she's heard enough of my IP spiel that she's like, she could chime in. Like she's for all, all intents and purposes, my wife is like my research assistant. She's yeah. helping me with like the ideas. And sometimes she has, we have a good brain trust when it comes to creation that I'll, I'll say, she'll give me a suggestion and I'll say, wow, that's a really good idea. And she said, you better give me a credit in the credits or else. <laughs> <laughs> so Love so I would that. say all, all, all things aside though, it, it, I would say that tends to be part of the problem that I, that I encounter every so often. But I, I feel like, I feel like social media trends kind of come and go, but the content's always going to be there, like the, the substance of it. So I, there are ways that I could adapt to the subject matter, to a new trend, make it relatable, so on and so forth. So I, 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 there's a day off that I take. Usually you're right, Ray. I, I usually do a post a day, but if there's a day that I take off, it's either because I've got creator's block or I'm like super busy with everything else in life. So I try not to kill myself. I just, for the most part, I am able to do a video a day. But if, if I'm just drawing a blank, I, I start fresh the next day and I never batch record either. So that's the other, other factor here. I'm always creating pretty much the day you watch the video is the same day that I made that video. So that's kind of how it goes. I, I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing, but yeah, this, is. to answer your second question, the only other professor that I know of that's kind of in this realm, not to the same extent is actually a very close friend of mine, my colleague at uh, New York law school, Dan Lust who is on Instagram and Twitter at Sports Law Lust. He's our sports law professor. He's an action professor to, at the school as well. And he's a full-time attorney at Moore Hawk, which is a law firm in, here in New York. And he's part of their sports law practice. And he runs an entire 
one of the best podcasts actually on sports law called Conduct Judgmental. And so it's like really fun. He's how he's just taken that brand and elevated it has been exceptional. So, and he's a contemporary of mine. He's only like a year older. We're very good friends. We laugh a lot. We we, we joke a lot. So it, it's a good camaraderie that we have. But that, I would say like, that's the extent of it in terms of like another professor at the school making that level of content. I did, I did post a video once on our, on a LinkedIn, on my LinkedIn page with, that I did with Dan and the Dean of our law school loved it. But then days later he had emailed me and he said, I love what you and Dan are doing, but if you can ice the shelf life of the video, that would be great. So I guess he had, and he had said that there were like some full-time faculty that thought that our video was detrimental to the image of the school, which frankly was not because just to set the scene, the video that I did with Dan was literally a reenactment of the end scene from Iron Man 1 when Nick Fury emerges from the shadows and says, I want you to be a part of the Avengers Initiative. And that was basically me telling Dan, I want you to be a part of New York Law School. And that was when we were in the process of when he, when he was, he didn't let the whole cat out of the bag, but he was in the process of announcing that he was going to teach sports law in New York Law School. How is that video going to be detrimental to the image of the right. school? Actually, if anything, young professors like us are good for the school because it gives mm-hmm. students an incentive to want to join a law school like ours, that we're not out of tune with culture or life or things like that. We're actually fairly contemporary to a lot of our students, yeah. and thus we feel like we're in a position where we can relate to a lot of their issues and a lot to, uh, and a lot of their uh, concerns and so on. I will say New York Law School has done a very good job as of late, though, hiring younger faculty for the IP side of things at the school. We have another new copyright professor who's amazing. We we have a really good, robust seminar program for IP drafting and licensing. So it, there's a lot going on at the school that is reviving the IP, the love for IP at New York Law School. And I'm just glad to be a part of that dynamic. It's, it's, it's wonderful to see students feel encouraged to learn about the subject matter. And whether that's by way of my teaching or by way of my Instagram or TikTok videos, I feel like I'm getting the job done. Yeah. And I think we, we bring that up quite a bit, right? That it's we're still in this phase where the old old ways of doing things, old way, old law, basically, right? It's still so ingrained in our in our profession that it's 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 hard, right? It's hard to kind of get some of the the old school attorneys to really understand the value of social media and really understand how if you think about it, right? The, one of the biggest complaints that most people have is like, oh, the the young, the, the Gen Xers would be like, oh, those millennials, they don't they don't do that. And then the millennials are like, oh, those Gen Zers and and so forth. But they don't understand that that's actually social media is this bridge, right? It's this way to gap or yeah, bridge this gap that that's out there. Have you seen? I mean, yeah. What's some of the feedback that you've gotten? Just obviously from your peers, from obviously from your students. Students, I'm sure it's positive. But have you seen that shift kind of begin to happen? I've definitely seen it, and I think what's been very encouraging is that what would have been frowned this type of content would have been frowned upon maybe 10 years ago, and here we are 10 years later. And like, I'm I'm not in a I'm not running an active law practice because I'm working in house. But I see my other peers, like you guys and, and other attorneys out there, using social media as the platform for attorney advertising or for selling of services, so on and so forth. 
what is shift in the dynamic? Now you're not turning on the TV and you're hearing Salino and Barnes, injury attorneys, 800-888-8888. This is fair use, by the way. I'm just laying it out <laughs> for commentary purposes. Yeah, um, exactly. <laughs> so all that to say, the dynamic has just shifted tremendously where now you can make information way more accessible to not just a law student or a lawyer, but to the everyday person is kind of like you alluded to, Gabe. At the end of the day, that's that was the whole reason why I wanted to start the IP professor because in like just a Marvel movie that you watch, there could be something connected to IP. Like vibran- I, t- I did a video a while ago about vibranium. Vibranium is a core element found in Wakanda. Obviously a fictional element, fictional country, but if Wakanda were real and if vibranium were real, you could make technology that was based on vibranium and register the technology as a utility patent. However, vibranium itself is not patentable because like iron, like lithium, like carbon dioxide, like all these other elements in the periodic table, those elements or other naturally occurring elements are not capable of getting utility patent protection. So even in something nerdy, like a Marvel movie, I try to find something fun out of it to teach and at least create a connection. I did a video yesterday about the whole Justin Bieber H&M dispute that's going down. And like, again, people shop, people like Justin Bieber. So they may find relatability in a video like that, you know, where I'm talking about that dispute. So my students seem to enjoy it a lot. They always use my videos in their small group presentations at the end of the semester, which mm-hmm. I always get a kick out of. And I and they think I'm going to give extra credit, but I just laugh because I I, I like that they enjoy putting my face in their videos when I never ask for it. I never ask them for a follow or anything. It's at their own choosing to decide if they ever want to follow me. But it's just very encouraging to see that they enjoy it. And then what's even more more comforting to know is that people like yourself, like my my peers in this community, don't see me as competition, but you enjoy my content legitimately and support me. Like I did a video on LegalZoom and I got I got a comment from this guy that worked at LegalZoom. And he basically was trying to debunk my video. But man, everybody else just came to my rescue. It was like it was like that scene in Avengers Endgame when, <laughs> Captain, when Captain America has the broken shield. He just straps it. The Chitauri are there. Thanos is there. Everybody's like just one man against everybody else. And then the portals open. And then like Black Panther comes out. And then Falcon comes out. And wow. Iron Man and everybody else is emerging. So it's like, to me, it, that was like a very surreal moment to know that I have the support even of the IP community. And I think that's that's a, also a wonderful thing too, that not only is this community such a melting pot, but we I think we all have such a shared interest to protect creators' rights, to want to share our knowledge about this, about this field of law, because at the end of the day, it's something that we encounter. And what I always tell my students is IP is everywhere, whether you're aware of it or not. And it is so true in the music you can, you listen to, in the movies you watch, and even the technology you use on an every single every single day, you're you're bound to see IP in some form or fashion. And so if I can do that through my videos and if people receive it well, then I feel like I've done my job. Yeah. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, I, I think it, it, and it's so funny that you mentioned, I, I want to, it just clicked on me, but the relationship, because obviously the law school has has their thoughts about social media. Obviously your family, right? Like your, your wife is, is encouraging. My wife does the same thing. She'll send me like TikToks like, hey, check this one out. And then yeah. I'm confused by it. And she's like, where your TikTok? I'm like, oh, <laughs> gotcha. And a lot of the viral ones are like because of her. And she's like, you're welcome. <laughs> That's right. Exactly. <laughs> um, exactly. <laughs> and so with that being said, 
What about your daytime job? What, what are they are are they supportive about your your kind of personality on social media? Because that, I mean, I think your your brand on social media has the potential again to be or it already is, but has a potential to really be a big personality to the point where you know you. Yeah, I mean, you're not really competing with ABC or, or anything, but again, does your Actually, boss? Anything, I'm giving them so much free publicity that they should just send me out to all the red carpet screenings of like yeah, all these yeah, dude, movies. That's like, what I'm. That's what I, I mean. Like, I would be like, I, I would be like a kid on Christmas Day, like you know, like Ralphie opening up the Red Rider BB gun, like just send me off. Yeah, um, they they are very supportive of it actually to the point that I think that these same people saw my progression with Law and Batting Order. And so I think that they're very encouraged to see that I found a new way of doing it. And it's, it's been a very fun ride. Like it's just, I'm, I'm obviously not doing anything to share comprising material about my day-to-day job. I work on projects, but I advertise the, my participation in a project usually after. So for example, I've worked on a lot of ABC news specials that hopefully listeners have seen, but I've worked on our special our 2020 special on the 50th anniversary of Walt Disney world. I worked on the West Side Story special that we did last year. Earlier this year, we did a special on the new Elvis movie. I worked on that one. I just finished working on our promo special branded for 2020 for the second Avatar movie. Mm-hmm. And I had a hand in all the licensing for that, whether it was photos and videos with our studios. Um, I've worked on our Superstar series, which is usually on a disease celebrity, although it's now shifted to living people. But I've worked on those projects in in a very intense manner. You're never going to see me in a video say, okay, everybody, like like a vlog style. Okay, everybody, so here I am at my desk and I'm working on this super duper license agreement where it's a quick claim <laughs> agreement. Like, no, 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 no. I'm not, yeah. that's not, I'm not obviously not going to share that for a number of reasons. It would probably be a breach of contract and then thus lead me to un- unemployment. But I don't want to do that. But I think the subject matter that I teach about is broad enough to not conflict with the work because- I could talk about copyright, not necessarily in the lens of a rights and clearances personnel like what like what I am. I could talk about copyright through the lens of a movie reference or through the lens of an actual headline that involved a celebrity. Like I was actually talking to a friend of mine who has been itching to collaborate with me, and he's a big fan of, of Spider-Man. He, he loves all things Marvel and comics, but he particularly loves Spider-Man. And I said to him, I had a light bulb moment. What if we did a video where we talked about Eddie Brock committing copyright infringement in Spider-Man 3, and we mimic the Bully Maguire dance and everything. Like to me, that's the kind of stuff I would talk about and not something that would compromise my job. So I found that happy medium in such a way that everybody at ABC News seems to be thrilled with it. And it's my account is not viral yet. Obviously, when it get if it were to get to that point, we'll figure things out. Sure. If it were if it's if there is a potential conflict, but I don't think it would, and I would never do anything to to obviously create some type of issue long-term with, with ABC news, with myself or anybody else involved. Yeah. I mean, I, I, it's just crazy. Like it just goes back to the whole idea of like content creation, building your own leverage, right? Like going back to your blog and how that was basically leveraged to get a good job. And like, who knows what the next step is for you and your, your journey. Right. I saw you shoot your shot with the USPTO about having a creative content with them. So like, and like, obviously I'm trying to get Mark Treatment out of there. It, please tell me he please. does not. He does not. <laughs> he does not look. Does he not look like Nick Cage and Sheldon Cooper had a child together? Oh, absolutely. They, 
forehead with like, he just might as well just say Bazinga and we'll call it a day. <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, you're already basically doing that. And once, once again, just a little more engaging. And I think one, one day- sometimes, sometimes I do throw shade at the USPTO. So <laughs> we kind of have to. Everyone's all, it's all in love. You gotta get, get, get working, get to work. Yeah, I mean, because I, I would love to just share their videos to our clients, but you know, sometimes it's like, it doesn't meet the mark, so we have to do it ourselves, right? But yeah, I mean, it just goes back to the whole idea of like building your own leverage. And I think that's what's so exciting about the creator economy and why we work with the clients we do because we're seeing people who, who are starting their content journeys and starting to monetize with us through brand deals, through their own products, through their own services. And seeing them build an audience, whether slowly or because of a viral moment, and then just like totally changing their life, totally changing their tra trajectory in their career. And even for us, right? Like we were, Gabe was a criminal lawyer and I was a policy advisor. And we, we started our own law firm on content creation and helping small business owners, even though we never ran a firm before. We never even worked in a traditional firm before. And we had no idea about how marketing our firm, but like we were able to do that through building a community online through content creation. So I think it's just like building your own leverage and then seeing where it goes from there. And I think you're a perfect example of that. But yeah, moving on to our, like the next question I had for you is just, we're talking about content creators and obviously our audience is mostly content creators. When it comes to intellectual property and content creation, what are maybe three pieces of advice that you might have for the young content creators? Say they have 10K to 20K followers and they are in brand deals and they are creating content that are getting a lot of eyes. What are your three kind of tips for them or three things you want to put on their radar from an IP perspective, creating contracts or not creating contracts, but creating content and also signing on to brand contracts and things like that. So I think the first one is kind of a given, which is to make sure that in every avenue possible, you're protecting your brand. So obviously if you are a content creator and you have built a thriving following as a result of the type of videos you make, you have to seriously consider, have you taken efforts to register the trademark? for your brand. Are you actively in the process of doing that? If you haven't, I would jump on it only because the sooner you can get protection, the better. So I think that that's an imperative part of the process in the same vein. I think it's also imperative to seriously consider, especially if you have a larger following and you're more susceptible to, let's say, pirating, you should be in a prime position to sincerely consider registering the copyrights even for the videos that you make. The only reason is because think of a situation like what's happening with Bethany Frankel and TikTok. Bethany Frankel has like all these videos where she tries on clothes. And I think that there was some manufacturer that decided to just rip off her video and use it as advertising. And so the question at that point becomes, could there, what protections did Bethany Frankel do in that position, in that, in that situation to protect her IP? And if it can happen to Bethany Frank, if it can happen to Bethany Frankel, it can happen to anybody else. So I think that that's a very, very important way to protect your brand. Obviously, you can protect it in other ways. You can, if you have, let's say, work for hire situations where, let's say, you're asking somebody to create a logo for you, or you're, you have a videographer that does the video work for you, understanding how that relationship goes. Are you the copyright owner? Is it jointly owned with the videographer? So on and so forth. So I would say that that would be kind of like the, the most important part, the, the most important step for, or at least the most important thing for content creators to take seriously. The second thing would be to, when you're reading contracts with your, with your brands that you're working with, be mindful of what you're agreeing to. I know that you guys have talked about it, especially 
that exceptional video about Unilad, like this is a situation where a lot of brands can take advantage of the everyday person because they're not well-learned on legalese or things like that. So being mindful of when you make videos for a brand or you're making content, generally speaking, for a brand, who owns the copyright to those photos? Who owns the copyright to those videos? What are you actually consenting to? What's the indemnification clause looking like? All of those are going to be paramount to understanding what, whether or not you're really signing your soul away to the devil or not. I, I feel like, I hate to make it sound so grim, but I feel that too many creators have been taken advantage of because of this one little issue. And I think that that segues then into the third one, which is tangential to number two, which is retaining a lawyer for those needs. I think that if you're not in a position to read a contract well, soliciting an attorney and asking for their help is not a bad thing to do. It's worth the investment. It's something you should sincerely consider because you know, they're going to be able to provide expertise on a lot of things, especially on the legalese. What are you exactly agreeing to? They could provide red lines. They could iron it out. So I think that that's imperative in this process. And they can also, just for people to understand, lawyers, we went to law school to be advocates. So in my case, I work in-house. I'm an advocate for ABC News producers. I'm working on their behalf to get things done. So in the same way with people like Gabe and Ray, they're acting as advocates on behalf of the everyday content creator. Trademark attorney X is advocating as an advocate for his or her clients. Patent attorney Y doing the same thing as well, so on and so forth. So people should understand that lawyers are not just there to help read the language, but also advocate for your rights and help you get what you need and what you want. So essentially when Cardi B said, get lawyers, get lawyers for everything, she was yeah. not kidding. So yeah. sincerely consider it. Yeah, no, I mean, I asked for three things, but I feel like we got like a plethora of things yeah, right there. I love it. And we have people who sometimes who book a consultation with us. Maybe they, they haven't seen our videos before. They don't really know what we're offering. Or maybe we meet someone in person and they're like, oh, like, what can you do for me? Like, why would I hire you? And it's like, well, there's a, so much. Like, I can't even think about it. Usually it's like, we can help you build your brand. We can help you protect your brand. We can help you like legitimize your business. Like, those are very broad things. But there's so many, like, I can't even, there's like, so many things we do on a day-to-day basis, whether that's just like reviewing a contract for a certain, maybe it's a hire you're bringing on, or maybe it's a brand deal, or maybe it's literally just the collaboration or affiliate agreement. There's so many times that people are signing away rights they have or their own legal protections away in so many forms or like adding liabilities to themselves without even knowing about it. And it's hard to even be like, hey, this is exactly what we can help you with. But on a day-to-day basis, we're helping our clients on a a variety of range of things. Well, and, and I think it goes back to some of these bigger, uh, most big brands, right? They're going to have, or big companies have in-house counsel where they can literally just a quick email to their attorneys or just walk over the attorneys and be able to ask questions and get those answers immediately. And I think that's one of the things, like, I think a lot of people don't realize how much legal, just like how you were saying, how much IP is in our world and how much we're interacting with it, that we kind of become numb to it and don't realize how much legal assistance people actually need. So and, and increasingly matter too. And that brings me to my, my, another question is what are you looking forward to in like the new developments of IP, right? Like obviously there's a number of things happening in the real world, right? AI, virtual reality. I'm, I'm interested in knowing like what you are excited about in learning about. There's a lot of uncertainty in what's the new technologies are we're yeah. being introduced to. So I would yeah. love to know like what what your take on that is. 
So I would say, so first, it's not related to the real world, but it's actually two cases that I'm very much paying attention to. Ironically, both for the Supreme Court, we've got the fair use case involving Andy Warhol and Prince that I think could completely either shatter or help our understanding of fair use in the copyright world. It's something that I'm very anxious to see how this court is going to rule, especially because I know that they've been obviously very contentious about talking about other issues. But, you know, certainly I'm, I'm curious to see what their assessment is going to be about intellectual property matters. So obviously the copyright case is going to be of most utmost importance to me. But I'm especially interested in this new Jack Daniels, Bad Spaniels trademark infringement lawsuit. For anybody that doesn't know, there's this dog chew toy by this company called VIP Products that if you look in their roster of goods, they literally make a business, they have a business that is off of parodying everyday drinks. They shape, they're shaped like cans, bottles of alcoholic drinks, so, soft drinks, any type of beverage you can imagine. So one of those products that they have is a Jack Daniels bottle or a bottle that's shaped like Jack Daniels. That's called Bad Spaniels. It has the exact same square bottle body design with like that curvy top. It turns out that that bottle design is registered as trade dress in the U.S. Patent Trademark Office. Again, for anybody that doesn't know, trade dress is a it's under the realm of trademark law and uses design, decor, uniforms, packaging, anything of that sort that is used to further the source identification of goods and services. So think of Jack Daniels. The word Jack Daniels is registered as a trademark. What Jack Daniels did was register the bottle so that they could tell the whole world, hey, if we remove Jack Daniels off the labeling of the bottle and you just saw the design of the bottle, you could see for yourself, that's Jack Daniels. That's not a Hennessy. That's not a Bacardi. That's not any other drink except the Jack Daniels. Sneaker brands are actually big on this as well. That's how we kind of have the Air Force One, Air, the Jordans Air Force Ones as registered trade dress. And I think a bunch of other Nike sneakers are there as well. So that lawsuit was has been escalated to the Supreme Court. So I'm very curious to see how that case would roll, only because this is the second time in recent history where there's been a pet product being brought in for trademark infringement and potential trademark fair use defense is at play here. So that, that was the Louis Vuitton, Chewy Vuitton dispute that happened about a few years ago. A very fascinating case as well. So, so those are the two cases that I'm looking forward to to see what this term, the Supreme Court rules. But in terms of the real world, I'm very fascinated, as kind of you alluded to, Ray, about the whole AI scene, not just about the privacy policy implications of it, but the copyright ownership angle, the issues with copyright infringement and fair use. But of utmost importance to me is the personality right side of things. The only reason why I bring that up is because there's this company out there called Podcast AI, where they basically take the voices I guess from the internet or from other data plugins, wherever. And they're able to take the voices of any person that you could ask for, and they can make a whole podcast interview between two people. So the first interview featured Joe Rogan and Steve Jobs, a very dead Steve Jobs, somehow are able to have a full-fledged conversation between the two. The second one, I forgot who one of them was, but it was Richard. It also featured Richard Feynman, the physicist that also very dead. So the issue becomes with technology like that, what's not to say that a brand could say, all right, we can't get Harry Styles because he rejected our offer. Let's go ahead and just get all of his voice samples. We'll go to this AI software and we'll make a, a voice rendition of Harry Styles saying, 
Marlboro cigarettes are the best cigarettes out there. And let's say Hairstyles doesn't smoke. I don't know if he does, but if he doesn't smoke, he's up in arms about this. He could sue for personality right infringement. Now at that point, you've got a huge issue because this is Bette Midler versus Ford 2.0. Sorry, another quick lesson. Midler versus Ford is another great personality right case. That case involved the use of Bette Midler's voice in an ad campaign in the, I think, late 80s, early 90s for their for a yuppie campaign that Lincoln Mercury was hosting. And originally, Lincoln Mercury had hired an ad agency to approach Bette Midler asking if she could if she would grant permission to her song, Do You Want to Dance, for the commercial. Her agent and she denied that request. So what did the ad agency do? They went to her backup singer. Hey, you sound like Bette Midler. Could you sing like her? Can you sing Do You Want to Dance? Absolutely. So all of a sudden, the commercial airs and you hear... Do you want to dance? And that's my worst bad middle voice. But uh, <laughs> so you do you sing in that? You got that song. It was all from the backup singer. Bette Midler hears it. She's pissed off. So now she sues in California for personality right infringement. And the judge rules in that case that her voice is just as much of an identifier of her personality as her name, her image, and her likeness. So I think that if brands play with fire, they're going to get caught in a firestorm in something like this, and it could breed a massive personality right infringement lawsuit. Yeah. So I would say that the AI scene is something that we should sincerely pay attention to because this could have this could have long-term ramifications. And right now, just like NFTs were at the start of this year, we're still not completely out of the woods, but at the start of this year, when we were entering the NFT space, it was the wild, wild west. AI, forget it. This is like zombie apocalypse level Wild Wild West. This is just going to be a madhouse dumpster fire if it's not regulated or at least curtailed or or there isn't like some type of guidance about IP matters in some fashion. Yeah, man. It, you know, what's funny I, when you're mentioning the Bette Miller, you know what example came to mind, which is probably geekier. A geekier example is Crispin Glover. Remember from Back to the Future? Yes, that, yes. That one, the Back to the Future 2, he didn't want to sign on. And they just literally took a, a mask, like a, a mold of his face and put it on some other actor that he sued and won. But anyways, yeah, absolutely. With the whole like AI, even deep fake stuff, right? Like it's, it is just crazy how good it looks too. Obviously as a Star Wars fan, you watch the, the movies get released and all of a sudden you see some guy from his his garage or studio whatever redoing some of these scenes with their deep fake with some ai technology and it's way better than you know what disney did it's it's crazy and again i think it goes back to what we had mentioned in a previous podcast is that there's a lot of power going back right shifting back to the creator from these corporations, from these big just industries. And there's a big shift to the little people, whether it's good or not. Well, I guess we'll see. Right. But it's, it's definitely there and it's happening. So. Yeah, for real. I mean, it's, it's, it, it's an exciting time for consumers. And I think having this type of technology, we can't deny was something that was inevitable, but I think because of how fast it came, it's caught all of us off guard. And I think that it, it's now a game of kind of like catch up. We're almost like living out that meme where Mr. Krabs is like in that blur and he's like freaking the F out. So yeah. it's like, that, that's like all of us right now because this is vast technology. Like even chat GPT, amazing technology, 
like the fact that I could type in draft me a copyright infringement letter is fascinating. But now that brings up broader issues. Is it ethical that I'm getting a letter like that that I can that I can use for fighting a copyright infringement claim? Does that what does that mean in terms of actual that letter actually infringing on copyright? Because is it infringing on a template that already exists or is it taking an aggregate of a bunch of different letters and making that letter possible? So it's like a lot of questions that need to be sincerely considered and answered. But the the fact that we're here at this point in time is already impressive. It's just now we just have to figure out from from an intellectual property perspective, maybe even from, from just a broader legal perspective, how, how do how do we reconcile these advancements in technology with regulation, with actually creating some type of I hate to say it like this, but some type of law and order where we're not bending the bounds of copyright law or trademark law or other aspects of intellectual property, violating creators' rights and and what have you. So it's it's a it's something to consider, and I, I think. I think we're we're going to see a lawsuit. I think in 2023 about this matter. Our our words. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's just like you said. It came so fast, right? I think we thought like it would be like a slow rollout of like, oh yeah, the, the technology's out now, but it's kind of it's like not that impressive. But like it was like right from the get, like the jump, like listen, the, the I, avatar I, creators, and then like all, like the chat GPT, like actually being like mind blowingly good. And it, <laughs> listen, like like I, I like I'm a I'm a huge Back to the Future fan, and so when 2015 came, I like I was marvelled at like like how accurate it was that the Cubs even made it to the playoffs. Yeah. I was so thankful as a Mets fan that we completely threw the Cubs out of the World Series. <laughs> so although we ended up losing, so don't don't even get me started. But it just was it's like fascinating to see like all that technology from Back to the Future, and then come 2015, we don't have DeLoreans are out of style. There is no flying cars. There is no hoverboards. I'm like, okay, obviously it felt hyperbolic. And then all of a sudden we've got AI technology at our fingertips. Wow, this is this is the future. I mean, before you know it, we're going to see, I think, other advancements of AI technology where it could probably integrate with holograms, which have become also kind of like a new technology that's kind of been a bit dormant, but it, I think it could make a, a really good comeback with this AI technology where you could basically give it text-to-speech and make it, make it say complete sentences that actually sound natural and don't sound like this and have a different pitch every time I say a different word. So that's the, uh, that's, it sounds like C3PO on that one, but yeah, you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Great. No. Yeah. And and again, the fact of the matter is that it's, it's not even just at a level of like these scientists and these corporations that pumped a bunch of money into the AI it's in the hands of the consumer now, which again, on TikTok, right? My whole, whole feed is just people doing the AI filters, converting themselves into whatever, art or whatever. And then on my Instagram, I tend to see if there's a bunch of, it's literally flooded with the AI crossed out, right? From all the artists, <laughs> they're like, don't support AI. It's it's horrible. It's going to kill the, the artistic industry or whatever. But it, it's crazy times we're living in. And, and I think, again... I think people like yourself, other content creators that are focusing on IP are going to be crucial in these next this next decade as as this new field of law really I think is going to emerge just from from NFTs, from AI, from from all that. So I think we're we're kind of we feel privileged and lucky to be kind of on that forefront of of these potential issues. So again, we appreciate everything you do to to educate the 
the masses on on this because they're they're gonna need it. It's coming. <laughs> Definitely. It's 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 really fun to just break down all this legalese in, in a fun fashion. And yeah, yeah it's 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 something that I enjoy doing so much. So to the extent that I can keep sharing this information, the better, of course. And it's not going anywhere anywhere anytime soon. So <laughs> the right. content's gonna keep coming. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I mean, I know we're wrapping up on time here, but one last question I wanted to just get from you, Professor T, was just, we talked about tips for creators. We talked about just expanding the world of IP through new te- technology. What are some misconceptions or some popular misconceptions about IP that you see in your world, right? For example, when people think certain things are protected, but they're actually not. We have that issue a lot with clients who are in disputes sometimes and they're saying, oh, the other person says like, I can't shoot my photography this way anymore because I developed this type of style with them, but I'm the content creator and I'm the one shooting the photography and that's my style. Is, is that a trademark of the brand I shot for or is it just my style, right? So there's a lot of, we, we see a lot of that happening in the creator space. Let me just know like there's any misconceptions you see that brands make sometimes when it comes to misinterpreting maybe trademarks and copyrights. So I, I would say these are correctable mistakes, but certainly the first one is to think that ideas are protected when they never are in any aspect of IP. In copyright law, there's the idea expression dichotomy. If you're a lawyer and you sat through a copyright class, you probably remember it. But the whole essence is, I could say I had the idea for Harry Potter, but that is not, that's not going to get me anywhere because by proxy, Ray could say that he had the idea for Harry Potter and Gabe could say the exact same thing. But I, there's nothing tangible about an idea that makes it protectable. It's the moment you take that idea and you materialize it in some fashion that now all of a sudden we're talking about sincere, we have to sincerely consider the IP protections there. So if I wrote a book, that that idea that, let's say I had an idea for writing a book about a turtle that you know could fly, turtle boy, whatever. Mm-hmm. Turtle boy, if I had a oh, watch, somebody's going to take turtle boy and that's going to die. So... Turtle Boy becomes it's an idea, a concept that I have in my head, and then all of a sudden I put pen to paper. Now all of a sudden that ex- that idea has become expressed and fixed in a tangible medium of expression. At that, so now I have something protected under copyright law. So I think for people, it's important for people to understand that ideas are never protected, not just in copyright, but even in trademarks, in patents, in trade secrets, trade dress, any aspect of it of IP. It's just you need to materialize that IP in order to get that protection. It, it, it's the only way that you could guarantee protection. I would say the second misconception that I commonly see is that if you're the subject of the photo, that you are you have the right to that photo. And I think that this is very common in the space that I deal with at ABC News when we're working with, let's say, Joe Schmo or Sally Smith, and they give us wedding photos or yearbook photos. At the end of the day, they may have those photos in their family shoebox with all the photos, but there was a photographer behind the scenes and they have rights that they need to enforce. So just because you're the subject of the photo doesn't mean you're the copyright owner. You see this also even with celebrities who post their paparazzi photos on social media. And yes, admittedly, I'm going to call them out, but you have the people like Richard Leibowitz who are copyright trolls out there. Can't stand them, but either way, they, they're out there to basically enforce rights. And so most times, more, more times than not, 
those claims are legitimate. And so when a celebrity is gone after for posting a paparazzi photo, yeah, they're committing, they are for all intents and purposes committing copyright infringement. I do, I, I think that if you share it in a story, I feel like there's, personally, I think that there's a bit of a flexibility because you're not really fixating it for such a long period of time. There isn't that fixation that would exist with, let's say, a static post. But either way, we've seen it in the real world with a bunch of celebrities in recent history. So mm -hmm. I think just a, a more of a PSA to people before you post that photo that was professionally shot by a wedding photographer or another professional photographer, just ask him for permission if it's okay to post on social media. We did that with my wife and I did that with our wedding photographer. It was all good. That's how we were able to share our memories with a bunch of friends and family. So that's that. And then the third thing is not so much specific to any area of law, but I think IP, which is that people feel that they can't bring something creative to the table that is worthy of protection. And I'm just going to lay it out there. In copyright law alone, the, the def, full definition of copyright law is that it needs to be an original work of authorship fixed in a tangible medium of expression. And one of those key buzzwords is original. Originality in our court system has an extremely low threshold. It just has to have some degree of creativity. It doesn't have to be something novel or innate, magnanimous. It could just be some degree of creativity for it to be original. So a stick figure is pretty standard. Nothing really novel about that. But if I were to draw a, a mustache and maybe a hat on it, now all of a sudden I've given, given it some level of creativity that in the eyes of the law could be creative. And I know that there are a lot of creators out there that are, I think, a bit apprehensive of making the jump to making some type of content, or developing a brand or something like that. You know, why, unless you feel like you don't have the time or the money to do it, what's stopping you? I started the IP professor as a way to kind of have fun with IP and look where I am now. It's almost, it almost has given me a, a really good opportunity to network with a lot of great attorneys, but also give me a really good opportunity to, to sincerely consider how could I expand the brand? Could I work with brands in the future to monetize the account where I could talk about IP and try out a product? Uh, that's something I'm, I've been sincerely considering and blueprinting over time. And, and before that, I was doing law and batting order and, and look what that got me. So I think that for a content creator listening, don't feel dismayed if you feel like you're not gonna be able to put up the quality of like a top TikTok creator or a top YouTube creator. Because I think whatever contribution you can bring to the table will still tap into an audience and give you the opportunity to get a gateway into it. Considering leisure and a hobby first, which is what I did, I still love it. I still consider it a leisure and hobby. It's essentially my getaway from a stressful day. And the fact that I could post a video and be able to engage with you guys or with other people on in the comment section and have banter about it, to me, that, that's what gives me joy. And so I think that it's important for creators to know that nothing is really impossible. You could you can you can just do something and somehow it's gonna be it's gonna be creative creative enough in the context of IP for it to be protected, but certainly for the broader community, people are gonna wanna pay attention to or at least they may be stumble they may stumble upon it and then voila, that's how virality kinda kinda happens. So those are, I think were like the three things that I would say are not necessarily miscon I would say misconceptions, but things that I've learned throughout the time that I've been teaching the time that I've been working in the space and even from my time running the IP professor. Yeah. I, I think you knocked it out on the park on all three of those, especially that third one. Right. I think it's just so important because the toughest part of any business like brands, huge businesses, huge brands is just like building a community or just getting the word out there. 
And I think that there's so many people who don't realize like just sharing their own interest in something, right? Like the IP professor just you share your interest in IP and like sharing what you're teaching your students, but to a, like a grander scale and just like anyone who wants to follow you, right? I think we're just seeing that just across the board and just seeing people kind of like chase their dreams, but like literally start, starting off with like the most niche interest, right? Like literally just being like, I like coloring books. I'm going to film myself color, color, like just doing this coloring book with like lo-fi beats. And actually like they're slowly growing a community of people who like also like coloring books, adult coloring books, right? And then are interested in like, hey, what pens do you use? Hey, what what are your favorite coloring books? And what are your recommendations? All of a sudden now they have like influence over people. Now that influence over brands, right? they can get the exactly. brand deals from people who are selling the pencils, people who are selling the coloring books. And like, it's just like they took just being able to do their passion and then turn it into being like an influencer in that that's, space and then creating opportunities and Gabe's a perfect example key, of that. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. yeah. No. And, th- and that's key. I think for, uh, for anything, right. Is that to just put it out there just, just actually just do it. Just put it out there. Whether you get one view or a million views, like as long as you're happy doing the thing, I actually just read an article yesterday and which is so like, it's it, like, it was literally directed towards me. Apparently, in their, the toy industry is has one of the biggest growth markers for in years, but it's all due to the adult toy buyers. And it, there's this whole thing. Yeah, there's this whole thing about. I think they're called. They labeled labeled them adults or something like that. I was like, <laughs> so, yeah, they, they I'm going to call myself. I identify as a adult. Yeah, <laughs> basically, they're saying there's there's whole movement of like adults in this generation, probably our age, right? That that are trying to get this nostalgic feeling back. That are trying to get just you know feel good about their their childhood and stuff. And all of a sudden, we've seen that trend happen. And again, I see it because of my content. There's so many accounts doing that with toys, with posters. With, I mean, anything related to to their childhood memories. And again, it's their passion, your passion, IP. And it's more specifically, I love the fact that you like like the geeky IP, right? Because obviously that's near and dear to my heart. And again, people are going to appreciate the authenticity of it. We appreciate it. Obviously, the way you come across and the way you show up on social media, it's, it's genuine, it's entertaining, and it's educational. Right. I mean, we we learn stuff from from your you know, your posts all the time. And we're like, oh, man, I didn't realize that. Like, we go look it up. And, yeah, man, it's great. It's great I, I love that you verify it. That's even better. That's <laughs> I mean, that was just, holding me accountable. That was just, that was just for show. Was just for show. <laughs> yeah, I don't really. I like, yeah, I the professor said it. It's, it's, yeah. <laughs> that was just for me to like pretend that I'm like, right. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. <laughs> but but yeah, but thank you so much for for jumping on and joining us. It was obviously we love hanging out. And like I said, if you ever need anything, we're here and we're here to support your account and you what you're doing. Like I said, we're we're big fans. And for anyone listening watching please make sure to follow ip professor on basically all social media right yeah pretty much all all social media yeah including youtube and we'll link it below 
Yeah, and yeah. Thank you, Professor T. When when I'm in New York next time, we have to, to definitely link up. I know that this trip I'm there. Like I'm, I was very sad to hear you're going to Disneyland, uh, Disney World next week. But uh, enjoy that. And yeah, at one point we'll, we'll link. You know up. what? They're in San Diego. Come through. Absolutely. Well, absolutely. I would love to come out there first. Thank you guys for just this opportunity. But Ray, next time you're out there, I think the only reason why we couldn't meet this time is I think Long Island wouldn't be able to sustain yeah. of both of us, but two juggernauts being in the same island. So <laughs> I think it's just preparing itself for the next meeting. Yeah, so when that happens, <laughs> if we were to come, who's basically by proxy at honorary Long Islander, forget it. Like tsunamis, <laughs> earthquakes. Yeah. Last time we had an earthquake was in 2011 when I was at 1L. It's, it's I'm telling you, it's going to be a, on, a on Long thing. Island. Yeah, it's on Long yeah. Island, not in. See, I, I'm already I'm learning. I'm learning. Oh man, you're learning the vernacular so well. Yeah. <laughs> but Professor T, thanks again. Thanks for sharing so many gems with our, our audience and we look forward to what's to come in the future for the IP professor. I, I appreciate it, guys. Time. Thank you so much, guys. I really appreciate it. Great. What an episode. There was so much information packed in there. Thank you for so much, Professor T, for just breaking down some complex IP topics in a way that's just like easy and fun to learn, even on this podcast, but just like how you do in your own content you create. Yeah, absolutely. And it's really, my favorite part is, is really kind of getting to the point that IP surrounds us, it penetrates us. It surrounds that. I'm like getting, <laughs> getting into Star Wars geekiness there. But for reals, I mean, IP is everywhere from the clothes that we wear to the music we listen to, to the shows we watch. So it's, it's very important to understand intellectual property. And again, the IP professor, he, he does a great job at doing that. So yeah, once again, if you're interested in learning more about intellectual property, but in a more fun and engaging way, give Tony a follow at the IP professor on TikTok. Instagram and YouTube now as well. Yeah, absolutely. So thanks again for listening, guys. And we will see you next time. Yeah. Have a good one. Cool. Happy holidays. Yep. Uh. Yeah.